quality of the Skype in-app recording software. I have no idea how it's going to sound. But joining me, I'm Brian Murphy, Managing Editor of McCovey Chronicles. Joining me is our Deputy Editor, Sammy Higgins. Sammy, hello. Thank you for joining us. Sure. How are you? I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the week. It's been, <laughs> it's been one of the most dizzying weeks of Giants baseball that I can remember, probably since one of the World Series runs, um, but for completely different reasons. Only the Giants could turn a, short, a holiday-shortened week into like a three-week-long period. <laughs> it's just every... Uh, it seems like every hour has been the it's Tuesday lemon um, <laughs> uh, joke. Uh, if you're just joining us and and you get your Giants news solely from us, first, thanks for uh, not following the Giants since August, which was the last time we <laughs> had a Chronicast. Uh, let me tell you how September went. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go well for the Giants. No. But uh, the big news, of course, is that Gabe Kapler is now the manager of the Giants. Um, there was other news, like there's a new GM, but uh, who's who's younger than me? Uh, Scott me. Harris. Oh, and you. Okay. Uh, you're just so effervescent and young seeming, <laughs> Sammy, I just assume. Uh, Scott Harris is actually, I think, technically younger than Buster Posey as well. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic, which we'll get into in a minute. Um because I think youth is kind of what's driven all of these uh, recent decisions. But far anxiety, he's had a year to re- evaluate the entire organization. And now it's time for him to put his stamp on this franchise and stamp it he has with uh, Gabe Kapler. And uh, if you've been following along, then you know that there's uh, some controversy about that. And um, I'm going to stop talking for now because I'm just rambling. Sammy, how did you feel when they announced that Gabe Kapler was the next manager of the Giants? Um, My initial reaction is I don't intend to be going to any other games or buying any merchandise while he is with the team. Um, Pretty... Pretty disgusted with the absolute, like, tone-deaf way in which they've handled this entire situation. It's like... You want to you don't want to use the the at least you tried meme, but it doesn't even feel like they've tried. Uh, it feels like this was the move that uh, Zaidi wanted to do, and he didn't really give a damn, and he didn't put much thought into how they were going to handle it, and the fact that he was going to be implicated in all of the things that Kapler is implicated in, and it really felt like the first time he even like gave it any thought was the night they announced the hire. And it's just everything about the news and how they've handled it has just been an absolute like clown show. I really thought that they were going to the, I mean, we've kind of known that Kapler's going to be the guy for a couple of weeks. I think a couple of weeks before the announcement, that's when it was pretty clear. You know, you talk to people, you hear some things, you see Oh, he's somehow now in the, you know, his name kind of pops up late after all these leaks had come out. And then he's still involved as they whittle it down and Ron Wotus goes away. So you can kind of see that the writing was on the wall. But I just wanted to say that two weeks, basically, and you're completely right. It just seemed like the night before they were like, oh, I I had this assignment due. I've got to turn in this entire plan to handle 
this PR um, move that we're public relations situation we're going to find ourselves in. I completely agree, and I am completely baffled that in the time they had to prepare, that it seems like they didn't. Yeah, exactly, and it feels like they've known, you know, for, like you said, for two weeks, and that they ostensibly that's the reason why it took them so long to announce it because you know i don't even know i don't even know how seriously they were taking the other candidates because it seemed like there was like kapler's name was kind of on the back burner for a few days and then i don't know it's like you said you know it's like they didn't i feel like i feel like they were prepared um they they knew that questions were going to come for Kapler and like and I feel like even Kapler was prepared for that in a sense. Um, if you if you kind of read Brian's piece about the press conference, you'll kind of you know see what I mean. Um, but I don't think Zadie was prepared. Zadie, sorry, I do that too much. Um, I don't think Zadie was prepared for for just how many questions were coming his way, and he seemed to not handle it very well. And I think that was another part of it that was really off-putting. So just to rewind slightly, if you're not quite sure what the deal is, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing. Basically, Dodgers minor leaguers were involved in, there were two, at least two separate incidents uh, involving Dodgers minor leaguers in the same spring training in 2015, which would have been when Gabe Kapler was the farm director and Farhan Zaidi was the GM. And in both those cases, there are three total minor leaguers, I think, who are involved. Two of them, this is the story I know for sure. Uh, two of them had two women and an underage girl in their hotel room after, you know, after hours. They were partying and they were drinking, serving the teen girl uh, alcohol. She got sick, she threw up on the bed. She was assaulted by uh, the women, according to the story. At some point thereafter, the grandmother of this underage girl uh, got the information, got the Dodgers contact information from the hotel, emailed Gabe Kapler. Uh, I think, sorry, to interject here, I think yeah, it's important to add that I believe one of the Dodgers minor leaguers was passed out at the time, but the other one recorded the incident rather than, you know, intervening to help the the teenager and posted it online. On Snapchat, which, yeah. Yeah. So there was that. And then he got, Kapler got this email kind of explaining what happened. Um, and then Kapler's decision choices he made was to basically report this to the Dodgers to get it up the chain. And then at some point in the conversations, guided it in this, he had this idea like, let's get them all together. Let's get the players and let's get this girl together to talk about it and I to, to like have a dinner and hash it out and use it as a learning opportunity for the for the players um it can kind Except of that's not what he sorry I that's not what he said though in when he was uh asked about it he said it was a learning opportunity for everyone involved sure yes which... I believe in the emails though it was it was more about the players but yes uh, yes that is correct he was just it's a learning opportunity at some point later there was there was the idea that there was a sexual assault that happened when she was passed out to the extent of which is kind of unclear. And so that was not was part of the initial report. So it's not, we're not in a situation where there was a cover up of Dodgers players sexually assaulting an underage girl. At least that's not really what caused the catalyzed the story. Uh, and keeping in mind that a former employee was sort of the one to, 
to expose all this to this wa- to the Washington Post. So that, I, I mean, have that's to disagree story. there because at a certain point they did know about the sexual assault allegation and yet it didn't come to light. I'm not sure that they covered it up, but I think we're all on the same page. I mean, it doesn't. Well, I guess it, it doesn't stink of a cover up. It well, they didn't like report it. They didn't report it to the police, and they didn't report it to the league. So that's correct. More maybe they, that's not an active cover up, but it feels yes. very much like a cover up. It's. Uh, I mean, it was. It was badly handled. They basically said, "Do you want us to report it, <laughs> or do you want to report it to the police?" Was the uh, offer extended to the victim in this case and in the other case, which involved minor leaguer uh, sexually assault, actually sexually assaulting one of the hotel workers. And I believe that player was more swiftly dealt with in terms of being sent away or cut. But again, there was no criminal um, investigation by an outside party. Dodgers legal was basically guiding the Dodgers uh, front office doing things. Those are the kind of the the big things about it. The one that I'm also, because I think um, the other one was basically the Dodgers are involved in the Justice Department is investigating the Dodgers and how they're handling how their dealings in uh, Latin America. And basically uh, the Dodgers are running a, a cartel or a criminal enterprise. <laughs> uh, and, and they're keeping being, tabs on who's the most criminally. Yes. Yes. They have a spreadsheet. The Dodgers front office did has, has a spreadsheet, like literally an Excel spreadsheet. That's uh, crimes.xls, I believe, with the name of the file. And I'm not making this up. <laughs> and and of their rated, own employees. Yeah, rated their own employees based on the level of criminality. It, the deal, The farm director has a direct knowledge of this. The GM has a direct knowledge of this. What What is galling to me is that that there is more than what happened in yesterday's press conference, um, and we didn't. We we barely scratched the surface, and what we got was a total shit show. <laughs> like, and can I ask here, um, did why do you think that the, these things didn't come up when Zaidee was hired? I th- or did th- they? I think. Well, he. Well, this is the interesting part of that press conference. Which, uh, if you watch the whole thing and you're an active listener like I am, it was exhausting. Like, <laughs> it because they used a lot of words. It's like reading my writing. You know, it's like why did you use seventeen words in that phrase when you could have used eight? What are you trying to say? Um, but it came up that Zaidi was not asked about the assault uh, for, for involving the minor leaguers. The central question of the press conference was not asked about that incident when the Giants interviewed him last year. Why do I think he wasn't interviewed about it? it the report had not come out by the time he was hired. But to me, is like sort of the timeline way of, of figuring that out. But I don't think that necessarily holds water because it was after all of that happened in the same spring training that Major League Baseball instituted new policies where it's like, you have to report this stuff to us. Like, we have to know about it. We have to be involved in it. We have to make the decisions. Uh, we have right. to get involved. And that's uh, the thing. There's something that, that Zaidi said in the press conference, which, oh, the, okay. So... He had this kind of like paternal condescension about a few things, and one of those was like how um, how to handle these situations of alleged sexual assault or, or assault at all, because you know all they knew at the time was physical assault. 
And he was, um, I think he was discussing why they didn't call the police. And he said, well, that's not always the best course of behavior. I'm like, you, you don't get to be the one to, like, lecture people about that, first of all. Second of all, I mean, when it comes to, like, abuse against a minor, I'm not sure you have a choice. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a child in danger is essentially how the law looks at that. Yeah, I mean, and, even just the child being given alcohol is child endangerment. Yeah, yes. So the idea, the I think where, the, if I can make it clear to people who are kind of shrugging this off, um, you have a, a person exercising bad judgment trying to teach people who have exercised bad judgment uh, how they can learn from this to exercise better judgment in the future. Does that make sense? Like he yeah. he he made us a, a bad situation worse, and it, were it not for the Washington Post article, none of this would have come to light. Um, now, can we like just to, for the timeline here? So, was it the Washington Post article that came out this year? That was after Zaidi was hired. Is that why we're thinking that this didn't come up last year? Well, this is what yeah. Just to loop it back, as much even if I don't. Even if the timeline basically, because the article came out February first, okay, twenty nineteen. So Zaidi was hired. Zaidi was hired November eighth, twenty eighteen. Even if that was the case, and people want to use, well, the, see, there are five months apart. Wait, four months. I can do math. Four <laughs> months apart. Um, I, I, I just don't think that holds water. The baseball industry is not that large, and if Major League Baseball literally institutes a policy. Uh, as a as a result of the multiple incidents that happened in the same spring training, and the Dodgers were a part of that, and the Giants were vetting people who worked for the Dodgers organization. Gabe Kapler uh, was vetted by the Phillies. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. background being done by people. Uh, you can find out Which, information. You can hear whispers yeah. over and the years. That's what makes me think that they just like because it wasn't so widely known until it was it was Kapler that was being um con or not con contemplated looked at for the for a job. I think when they thought that they could, it could just go under the radar, they didn't care. And that's just another thing about this team that's making it really hard to uh, hard to compartmentalize things, you know. Uh, Which is what baseball demands the, of you. <laughs> right. And it, it just goes to like a growing theme of the character of the organization that's just like taking hit after hit of their, of their own doing. But as a fan, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to um, figure out how at this point, knowing all that we know, especially the recent stuff, but like this, you know, even with Zadie being, Zadie being in charge, um, it feels like the culture of the organization has has shifted in a way that I don't care for. I mean, the last couple of years have been uh, a slow moving train yeah. wreck or kind of a uh, my favorite train wreck humping or uh, plane crash humping a train wreck. <laughs> that that's that's an image. Uh, you know, be, be, you know, Charles Johnson, Larry Bear. And now okay. this, and, and this is not I mean, very clear. Obviously, the situation are, is different. Gabe Kapler did not assault someone. Right. That's very clear. This is the part that I, you know, straight white male. The world is made for me. Everything's through my lens. And it, and Zaidi's uh, kind of insistence that this was sort of beyond the scope of a baseball operations department to handle matters like this. 
and this idea that you know we're not equipped to deal with these things that that it's all fine to a point but that's why you call the police sorry right sorry. right no no that, we're, we're in agreement I, I what i'm looping folding it back into is this idea that people have a problem with people having a problem with it or making or being uh, basically holding Gabe Kapler uh, as being part of a larger systemic issue as being like, I think that's what the blowback to canceling people or social justice issues are. I think it's this people are not when, when bad things happen and there are injustices, nothing happens. So what's, what are people supposed to do? Besides be extremely upset, hoping that one of these times someone's going to figure it out and do the right thing. Why is it so hard to do the right thing? Okay, so the thing about that, the, the, the term cancel culture has come up several times over the last few days. No yeah, one's ever right. actually been canceled. Right. Like, I guarantee you, <laughs> Gabe Kapler would have had another job, no problem, if the Giants right. had exercised any amount of good sense and hired anybody else. But aside from that, it's not about canceling. It's about accountability. Yeah. Like, People think, oh, I'm sorry if you were offended is enough to, like, get them out of doing of, of anything that they did wrong. And, like, Kapler thought invoking his mom would make people think everything was fine and he respects women and there's no problem here. And, and people are just so unwilling to accept any kind of personal responsibility, like, accept that they did anything wrong, to apologize for anything. And then they think that giving the bare minimum of effort should be more than enough. And they get pissed off when people won't accept that. And it's just more the, on the other end. It's like the fans that are defending it. It's just more of this like fucking culture wars bullshit where there's like a certain part of society. And that's in sports. It's in life. It's in everything. And they see that people are legitimately angry about something for, for clear reasons. And they decide to just double down on the thing that the other person's upset about. Oh, haha! look at these like snowflakes mad about Kapler. Well, now I'm extra excited about him. And it's like, even the players are doing it. Like Evan Longoria, like if you watched him on Twitter, it's just like, he's acting like, oh, haha! I don't see any problem here. Even when people are sharing information with him, he's just like doubling down on it. It's just fucking exhausting. Like, everything is culture wars, and we just have to fight about everything because people have a lack of basic empathy skills or, like, decent values, and that's the problem. Sorry. I mean, that's what, that's literally what uh, Zaidi and Kapler were on stage performing yesterday trying to pay lip service to and pretty much failing. It was, it was really tough to watch. You know, if you are willing to admit that a baseball operations department and people like themselves are are ill-equipped to handle serious real-life issues, which is what that was, then I would say logically, since they're so incredibly intelligent and thoughtful speaking people, that it would extend to they would have a very difficult time speaking about it honestly. And having an understanding. And I don't, I think you can learn all you want and you can say that you've learned. And we're not going to spit, this is not going to be a two hour uh, podcast. So we're not going to get into everything they said in the thing. But my takeaway was is talk is cheap. Yeah. And, and I think you, I mean, here's the thing. Do we want to see how they handle something like this again? Because that would mean something terrible happened. Yes. I think the, the difference is, is his talk is cheap if you haven't put the effort to like actually 
to actually try to figure it out, to try and figure out where you went wrong, what you did wrong. And they kept saying like something along the lines of we needed to consult more experts and like, no, you shouldn't have been making the decisions. You've already admitted that you weren't the best qualified people to handle it. So you know what you should have done? Reached out to the authorities, let them handle it because they guess what? That's what they're professionals at. That's like what they do. And so, no, you didn't need to be re reaching out to more experts or whatever. It's, you needed to let a professional, like, the, the authorities handle it, and you didn't. You just decided a... to keep it in-house. Go ahead. No, I have a question and a follow-up for you. Sammy Higgins, you're the PR person who's like, they bring you in, they say. Sammy, uh, I have two questions for you. My first question, Sammy, is do you think that them talking about what they should have done uh, would have was actually helpful. And the follow-up is what should they have said yesterday? Okay. So I, I am um, a studier of apologies because people often say it's not even worth apologizing. People aren't going to like accept it anyways. And that's just not the case. It's the fact that people don't know how to apologize. And when you apologize, the first thing you have to do is you have to uh, you you have to like admit that you did something wrong. You have to say what that thing was that was wrong, and the next step is apologize for your actions and how your your actions affected other people. And that's where immediately apologies go wrong. And I would say ninety nine percent of cases, because they put the onus on the other party. They put the blame on the other party for being upset or for being hurt by something. And that's where that's where things tend to go off the line. And after that, you have to put forth either what you can do to make it right to fix it and if you can't fix it what you have to do is put forth what you will do going forward if if another situation like that arises or how you'll keep it from happening again and obviously like in this situation like Gabe Kapler and Farhan Zaidi cannot control what their players do um what the players that they manage do it's not their fault that those players did what they did what they can control is how they handle it and so to see them kind of squirm around to try and like, oh, well, mistakes were made, but they don't seem to know what those mistakes were, to vaguely talk about that, that doesn't work. Because it doesn't feel like you put in the work to actually figure out what you did wrong and how you can avoid doing it again. It just felt like, oh, I'm sorry I got caught and now I got to figure out a way to make people not remember. So uh, I have had time to reflect on it and I understand that, uh, you know, I thought I could handle the situation myself. I thought the Dodgers as my support, that that would be enough to get through what was obviously, uh, something that would have, that involved, uh, an investigation involving law enforcement to determine the extent, if any criminality and rather than do that, and, and give the victim an opportunity for a sense of justice or the possibility of justice. Uh, I involved myself in a way that uh, completely convoluted the situation and made, made a bad situation worse. I, you know, wish I hadn't done that. I can't take it back. If it happens, you know, God forbid something like that ever happens again, but I have, you know, major league baseball because of my mistakes has a policy in place now so I know that the responsibility for me is to make sure that there's that there's a clear idea of who a victim is in any of these cir circumstances and to make sure that they are immediately connected to redress or enforcement or, or a way of, of getting that justice they need and the help they need. Something and like that. 
yeah, something <laughs> like that, and like the support of the organization, and to just like make it clear that you value like the humanity of the person who was involved, not just like the prof- potential profits that your players can bring in, and that's right, basically we... the the vibe that <laughs> vibe that I get from this situation. You know what? Honestly, who had the best? Not best, but best of a bad situation take on this was Buster Posey, you know, because he kind of got put in a tough situation where he's got to answer questions about his new manager. He was kind of used as a pawn. It's like, oh, well, Buster and Bruce Bochy approve. And he kind of got the sense from Buster that might not have been the case. But he took a very, I thought, thoughtful approach to it and centered the victim in a way that like nobody else did. Yeah. And he, yeah, I, I appreciated that. And that's kind of another thing that was left out of it because... Another part of how Kapler handled it was just kind of slandering the victim a little bit and saying that she was begging for money and there's no, like, proof of that in the emails. And it's it was just 100% handled wrong, and it was 100% handled wrong this week. And, and I, that, I don't... You just reminded me that that not only did Kapler... Or did not... Not only was Buster Posey roped into all this, Bruce, Bruce Bochy was roped into all this. And uh, because Kapler or uh, uh, Zaidi made it a point to say that Bochi was involved in the process, Kapler as well mentioned, like, like speak to him. Oh, and not uh, only that, they, but they said that he was Bochi's choice, which, come on. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and, and another kind of odd spotlight diversion or deflection or redirection, and I pointed this out in the article, was, you know, w- when asked what would you do how would you handle this differently? Or what is your plan to like, you know, which is an impossible question, you know, like how yeah. would you, what have you like, what would you do differently to make sure this doesn't happen or something like that? Um, and it was basically like uh, the first thing I'm going to do, like literally what he said, uh, normally a, a baseball manager goes in and when he meets with his players, he talks about baseball. Instead, I'm going to talk to Brandon belt, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Tyler Beatty <laughs> and about this about putting, you know, he didn't elaborate on it, but right. if if you follow the logic of, or the, the if you if, get the implication, it's like, hey, Ted, or hey, Buster Posey, I know you're a husband and you have two <laughs> kids at home, but if you've ever got, you know, if you're ever on the road and one of your side pieces are in your hotel room, just make sure like that you are respectful. And if there's a consent issue, like, is that what he's going to do? I like, I thought like, it was very strange. <laughs> I'm willing to be a little bit generous in this situation and, and, and think that his meaning was more that he's going to discuss the, the situation that he's involved in when he talks to the players. Cause obviously it's going to be on their minds cause it's on everybody else's or maybe it's not. There's a lot of people that are ready to just like business as usual, moving on. We've handled this. So I don't know, but that would that would be my generous read on it, and that he when he discusses or when he gets to know the players, he's going to be open with them about what happened ish. Well, well, for someone who just quit the team, that's like almost unnecessarily um, generous on on your part. I'm actually, you know, I'm, you know, I was very disappointed in Far Anxiety and this whole process and yesterday's in the press conference. I was not impressed. Um, at the same time, we, I shouldn't be surprised and it's very hard to not stereotype these quants who are running baseball now to it's, it's, you've got scientists who don't have people skills and don't view it as a necessity for the job. 
being collegial with your colleagues, being personable to the press. Uh, I mean, there are qualities that you can have, like wearing a uniform or being really fast on the bases. And you can put them to good use in certain situations. But does it come together and show, I mean, Sammy, you mentioned it, character coming into the into the situation. I actually can appreciate that he has a different, pers- like he does know more than we do. There's no question about that. And I can appreciate to an extent the idea that I know a little bit more about this and I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm willing to take your your criticisms, but I'm sure enough based on what I do know that it, this is not going to go the way people fear it is. But I understand that they're upset as if it was. That I can understand. What I I can understand. I don't agree with it. I like I don't I don't think it's worth the the hassle that he's now that the whole team is experiencing. And I actually wanted to to touch base on that because the one thing, not the one thing, there's plenty of things, but one one question that he owes the fans an answer to, and maybe this was brought up in the conference and I missed it, but what he, he he's doubling down in this like way, like, I know best, this is the best decision for the team, Kapler's the best fit, and he's doubling down on that without giving like an actually good reason why he's so sure that Kapler is like uniquely important, like so uniquely important that the team thinks he's worth all of this. So well, far, I haven't heard an answer to that. Well, that's what we can kind of get to the end of this topic here by just kind of doing the rest of the rundown. What was that press conference about? You know, this is, it's the ultimate sign that there was no pre conference strategizing because (laughs) it was disorganized. They had basically, it was organized to this point. They knew who was going to introduce them. They knew and which order they were going to speak. Scott Harris got one monologue (laughs) that he rehearsed very well. That said nothing. Sorry, can we just take a brief aside and say, poor Scott Harris? <laughs> Christ. Day day one and a half. <laughs> he's, he's having to sit there and not look terrified and and like shaking his head. And he's um, like the only one not yeah. implicated in any way. He's got to right. kind of like ride or die. <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, and then so it's so like, okay, Farron's going to speak. Scott's going to speak. And then Gabe's going to speak. And and it was weird to watch like Farhan knew the bullet points and because he's a good extemporaneous speaker, he had an idea of what he was going to say and he said it pretty clearly. Harris rehearsed in the mirror. I'm convinced of that. He recorded <laughs> himself. He listened. He went to bed listening to it. He rehearsed <laughs> it. Uh, Gabe Kapler did both and it still sounded like he was searching the whole time. And I really I re- liked the way that you described it in your article. What, did, what was it, that he's a first draft speaker? Yeah, he's a first draft speaker. And I know this because if you've listened to uh, these 84 previous episodes, it's that's how I speak. So <laughs> I know what I want to say, but I also feel like I have to build to what to how I need to say it. It's, it's, it's aggravating. So, uh, but uh, we got no baseball. What the, the bottom line is, there was no. It was not structured in such a way so that we could get to baseball. No one was willing. No one was courageous enough. And I don't. You know, I'm going to say it. They weren't courageous enough to pivot. It, and being, if they were willing to be open and transparent and answer all the questions, you would have thought that they would have had the confidence to steer it one way to say what they needed to say. And if they got brought back to the other issue, then jump back to it. But at no point do we have a sense of, are you going to work with the veteran players? Do you expect the roster to change a lot? What's I your honest- view on bullpen usage, et cetera? There was no I, baseball. 
honestly don't think there should have been at this point because that was like, whatever we'll get to that but the issue obvious glaring elephant in the room was not baseball it was the fact that they had to have this press conference not just to announce him it wasn't a normal announce the new manager press conference it was a press con- it was it was it was damage control and so they should honestly it should have just been questions it should have just been questions from the media allowing them to follow up and to dig in and get the answers that we didn't get. And I don't know if that was just how it was structured or if it was just like, you know, members of the media not wanting to push too hard and potentially lose access, whatever. I just feel like this didn't need to be about baseball. We've got time for it to be about baseball. Obviously, we've already reached the point where they've just like, you know, brushed their hands of it and like, all right, well, that's that's one problem solved. Now we can actually get to the season. Uh, I think it deserved its own moment, an entire an entire moment to handle this issue or to discuss this issue. And so I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I just disagree there. Okay, so let's uh, end this segment with sort of our predictions. What do you think the next, what do you think this offseason is going to be like? We're obviously in a new era of Giants baseball. There's you know, new goals that we'll not know until after the the path has been blazed so but what do you predict is going to happen in the off season or next season just or? like what's the what's the angle here are they going like if it's if it's full rebuild if it's you know we're we're gonna have a 14 person pitching staff but like three of those pitchers are also going to be outfielders half the time like is it going to get super weird like is it going to be a mix you know what's Kapler's role in all this I mean, do you have any one thought, one guess? I, I mean, I feel like we're not quite at the point where we're going to be losing all of the familiar faces, but we're getting close to that point. And after that, I feel like it's just going to be churn, like unrecognizable churn. And we're, it's going to be not necessarily like the same strategy as the A's where like they keep a player until they have some value and trade them. It's we're never going to get attached to players because nobody's going to stick long enough because it just seems like that's just what Zaidi does is just like turnover and turnover until you find someone that sticks for a little while and then turnover and I for me that's not and I, and I know everybody like appreciates the game differently but for me that's not something that I enjoy I like, like having people to root for not that not that I like as people because I don't know them but that I like as players that I like their personalities I've gotten to know over the seasons and obviously you know like the Brandons and Buster are all you know getting older and their contracts are coming to an end fairly soonish but you know, just like getting to root for the younger players and allowing them to to stick around long enough to like get to know them and like them. I don't feel like we're going to get that opportunity if the first season is anything to go by. Um, and I don't feel like a uh, Kapler is going to have much of a role. I feel like he's going to be more of like doing the bidding of his bosses. I don't know that the I don't think I buy into the whole uh, he's going to be an avatar. I mean, I think it's a good joke. And it seems very obvious, but I, I spoke about this on an article today and then I've been talking to some other people and I really think what it is, is that the giants really are just trying to change their mindset entirely. And by that, I mean, to actually get younger, you know, here's a really weird thought I had in the car. (laughs) Uh, You know, the players that are under 30 today, you would you not say that video games and screens are very much a part of their lives? Probably. 
Yeah, I mean, just on that level alone, we have a story of Bruce Bochy breaking a TV because the players weren't focused on getting ready for the game. You also have the other option, the other yeah. end of it, where Gabe Kapler, you know, lost, where um, uh, Carlos Santana broke a TV because players wouldn't stop playing Fortnite before a game and getting ready either. But I think that kind of represents what I'm. I'm at two extremes to point out. The middle is with the way technology is sort of uh, latched on or been grafted on to training and preparation for for the game now. I think screens are very important, and so just on the level of someone who understands that screens are a part of your life, that under that knows wh- why any of this is happening knows where it's coming from. I mean, being the uh, scouting director, you're going to know this stuff. I, so I, I'm saying he's a perfect vessel for continuing to communicate that because it seems like the players uh, seem to like him and recognize him as a player. Um, and I think with Bochi, the, the extra gen- – like he's from two generations ago of a baseball – three generations ago of what a baseball player day-to-day was. And Kapler still – he gets it. And I think they recognize that he gets it. And I think that's why it's going to be um, more of a partnership in the way they're talking about. Where I don't think they're going to have to tell him what to do because he's going to get what they're trying to do. And in the times where it's not clear, he's still going to be able to help them get done what they need to get done. That, like, that's his utility. The example I used was how do you convince Jeff Smarja to be the, you know, to be the middle innings eater instead of and accept an opener if Jeff Smarja is even on the roster. I agree with you. <laughs> Don't get attached to these guys. Risu Debone uh, losing his his jersey number to Gabe Kapler. Not a good sign, kid. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like stuff like that, like. But how do you convince him? Well, Bruce Bochy's not the guy to convince someone that an opener is cool, like, okay, and it's not going to kill you. And Jeff Samarja might not be the player that you can even do that with. But let's assume that there was that 10% chance. Gabe Kapler gives you a better opportunity to realize that 10% chance. Um, you know, Bruce Bochy gives you no chance. So I think that there is some, like, there is a reason beyond. Um, he looks good with the shirt off and he understands Why do what you know that? fit is. There's go ahead and Google uh, Gabe Kapler nope. shirtless. Nope. Okay. Good. Right. I mean, he's a bodybuilder. So, <laughs> uh, so my, I'm kind of like piggybacking on your prediction a little bit. And I think it's just going to be, there's going to be a lot of excitement from the older players who are going to feel like someone who's like actively engaged and understands what their lives are like right now. I think it's going to be an important thing. I think it's why Evan Longoria is so excited. It could also be that he's trolling and he's fine with underage girls getting assaulted um, too. But I mean, I think it's just more he's excited and he's intentionally burying his head in the sand because he's excited. Um, well, and I, I I feel like I need to say like the people who are trollish, I don't think it has anything to do with that. They're okay with, you know, what happened to, to the victim. I think it's that they think, they think that, people oh not people i think the people that made mistakes in these situations shouldn't be held accountable like in kapler's position because kapler wasn't the one that did it um and you see that all the time with the, going back to people that talk about cancel culture it's like yeah I, I don't have any uh any patience for that well speaking of accountability the giants <laughs> were held accountable uh, by their two qualifying offer free agents 
Will Smith and Madison Bumgarner. Wah, this is, wah. Yep, exactly. Uh, Will Smith has left the Giants. He declined their $17.8 million qualifying offer, signed a three-year deal with the four-year option, fourth-year option uh, with the Braves. And Madison Bumgarner took his axes and rejected the deal as well. And he's a free agent who could resign with the Giants. But, yeah, I was going to uh, say, I think won't. it was pretty much expected that Bumgarner was going to turn down the qualifying offer because, you know. So Will he's... Smith is for sure gone. And mm-hmm. do you have any feelings about that? Um, I mean, I'm happy for him personally. I'll get that money. Uh, he He's getting more there than he was guaranteed to get from the Giants. And he lives in Georgia, right? So, you know, I'm happy for him. I will miss him. It was kind of nice. I mean, obviously he struggled a little bit more in the second half, but it was kind of nice for like what feels like the first time in a long time to have a closer come into a game and be like, all right, we're we're good. Like even when he would allow base runners, like every uh, game that I went to in person last season, he got into, you know, he, he got into a little trouble in the ninth inning, but I never felt like the game was on the line even when it was close it just felt like okay well he's gonna get out of it and that's such a huge relief considering you know the last time the Giants were in the playoffs so I really I really appreciated him being on the team and him having the season that he did and it was really fun to watch but um I I get his decision 100 percent it was I'm totally fine with it and uh, his agent used a good tactic where oh, yeah he said uh hey guys if you're interested in my client you have to sign him by the deadline. Otherwise, he's going to take this deal, mm. the the qualifying Wasn't offer. it also that it had to be a multi-year deal? Well, right. That, that's right. how he angled it to get um, yep. to get three three with an option. Yep. Or he was going to take the single-year deal. So that was a uh, that, that was so uh, we'll, the raise. I mean, as, as my, I agree, we don't know these guys. So as much as we know them from their public persona, Will Smith seemed like one of those good baseball guys. And uh, it was fun to have him on the team. They stuck with him when he went through Tommy John. He uh, sent a he posted a note of appreciation of the training staff, <clears throat> all that stuff who helped him get through that tough time. Uh, I just want to point this out because this is very important. It's a stat, but it's a good stat. Um, there's a stat called win probability added, which basically takes every moment. And yes, it, it compiles all these moments in history because baseball is very good at one moment being measurable. <laughs> Uh, so if you're not familiar with it, win probability added. It's basically uh, what percentage did a player contribute in a in a given act in a baseball game play, uh, contribute percentage-wise or hurt percentage-wise to the team winning the game. And then over the season, it adds up. So like maybe you hit a home run and it increases, you know, 23%. You get that win probability added of 23% added to your thing. But then you get taken away uh, within a game like you strike out with the bases loaded, like it'll mark you down. And over the course of the season, it accumulates. It's by percentage, but every 100% or every point, full point, it counts as a win. So the, there's a leaderboard of this. And um, and Will Smith appeared in um, 63 games. Uh, he had 34 saves. The number one win probability added uh, was 5.6, meaning his performance added, increased their chance, you know, one basically five and a half, five or six games for them, just based on his performance in certain moments. Number one, Justin Verlander. Number two, actually number one, tied at 5.6 or 560%, was Will Smith. 
Will Smith, as the closer, who didn't even get a save in every appearance, was as uh, clutch, I guess is a way of saying it, or help improve the Giants' chances of winning as much as Justin Verlander, the Cy Young winner. And he basically, by his performance, his his inning-by-inning player, or, you know, at-bat-by-at-bat performance, helped the Giants win at least five games. Um, That's pretty amazing. Sorry, side note. Verlander won this year? Yeah. Whoa, missed that entirely. (laughs) Sorry. I saw DeGrom. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, it was an impressive, incredible season. Uh, if the Giants had yeah. gotten him back, we would we should have been thrilled. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's making $17.8 million. Giants can afford it. They're not spending money on anything else. would have been great. They could have traded him. It would have well, been fine. And that was, I think, what they like talked with Zaidi about. And that he was like comfortable paying him $17 million because he's because of all of the reasons you just laid out. Because it would normally be a lot. But it was so nice. Oh, that stretch. Not just the stretch where they were winning, but that stretch where they had like the best bullpen in baseball. It was so, even if they weren't winning all of the games and they didn't have great offense all the time, just that, like that feeling like if you had a lead, you're, you're okay, you know? Right. I feel like we were all kind of scarred in 2016, the second (laughs) half of 2016 by such an unfathomably bad bullpen. And not, not that, I don't like to say they were bad, like they were bad players it was just a bad sequence of events happening over and over and over again that culminated in the way that season ended so i guess it was just such a breath of fresh air to have really really good relievers this year but i think it's safe to say that period is over oh yes and so might be the madison bumgarner era him being a free agent uh i think that's i think he's gone yeah i think it was apparent in his last game I really wish he had he had gotten that last start. I think that would have made, I don't know that it wouldn't have made a difference uh, per se, but it, because of the amount of times they kind of like got us used to it possibly being his last start around the trade deadline, <laughs> to not actually get that last start from him was just such a disappointment. And obviously he had he had the at bat, but you could see it on his face, and I don't think. Obviously, like he could have been covering his bases and know there was a chance he wasn't coming back. But the way that he had his moment of ovation from the fans and, you know, like tipped his cap and all that, I think it was pretty clear that he probably wasn't coming back. And he still could, I suppose. But I think the odds are the odds are on Atlanta. So do, do we know were he in uh, were he in Smith friends? Do we know that? <laughs> I think Smith was kind of friendly with everybody, but I'm not sure. I'm not oh, actually sure about just, that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think they'll end up on the same team. I'm not sure that Atlanta is the destination necessarily, just because I think baseball are the. Uh, I this is the part that kind of staggers me every time I open up our CMS, and that's I don't know what any of these people are doing, and I'm not smart enough to figure out like learn where I need to learn. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, you lose the Sabian script and it's like, well, what are these teams doing? And the, fa- the fact is that all these teams are doing something different, even though they're kind of doing something the same. So like Smith, theoretically, would prevent them from making any one massive move like getting Bumgarner. And instead, it would it sets them up to intentionally make a couple of other small, you know, medium or smaller moves instead or set them up for trades because hey now we've got a bullpen so i don't know i mean i think that would be the logical step and it could very well happen as well 
But Bumgarner seems like he uh, he could also be a great plan B for teams who don't get Garrett Cole um, mm-hmm. or don't get Steven Strasburg. So he's probably going to be on the market for a while. And I don't and know that I that... Don't... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, oh, no. I was just going to say, I don't... I don't see with the new management team that the Giants have, I don't really see them making that much of an effort for Bumgarner. Um, They don't have the same like emotional attachment to him and they're not going to like factor that in. And I'm not, that doesn't necessarily mean that the old, the old guard would, that that's how they evaluated these things. But I feel like they're based on, you know, where Bumgarner is at in his career. I don't necessarily foresee him being like a huge, priority for the Giants unfortunately right. um, I don't not know for... what the Giants priority will be this offseason that's actually probably more fair yeah because if it I don't think that their goal is to tank and be I I, I think I agree with our uh, with our Roger Munter I think the that idea of like burn it all down so that you can look like a genius and re- you rebuild it like that's already a, a version like an old version of right. the software and and i think it's fair because if these guys are so smart why does that why is it the only way to do it well and uh, i think we saw that last year and that last year could have very easily been a tank year and the fact that they were able to tinker and make all the little moves that they did to even improve them to being a watchable baseball team was really impressive and making great strides with the development of their minor league players right. so just knowing that they they their proof of concept of whatever things they put in practices they put in place in literally one off season, knowing that that can pay off and exactly what you said, that they can tinker successfully. That's why I think Dubone and Yastrzemski are not guarantees on the roster and Alex Dickerson, because they got those guys just by doing the same thing all year. There's nothing that to say that they can't do that again. Um, so We'll see what happens. Yeah, and that's why I feel like the upcoming era of Giants baseball is just going to be interchangeable. Yeah. Because the second you start to root for somebody, they're off the door. But it won't matter because you're not going to be watching it. I didn't say I was going to be watching it. It's my job to watch it, but I'm not going to be giving them my money. Um, We are going to be doing some Croncasts in the offseason. We will be back at some point. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to land Grant. I don't know if he has a non-compete. I don't know if he has me on an email blacklist. We'll find out. <laughs> um, I mean, don't email him. DM him. I will. I will do that. Um, His inbox is a scary place. I want to bring him in because there's a non-zero chance with that California freelancers law that there's going to be a lot of changes at SB Nation and McCovey Chronicles, and uh, and so not knowing what the future holds. And actually, you know, just it's the end of a decade and um, uh, might as well, might as well bring him in. You put me in a spotlight. Uh, I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with, hey, Sammy, you know what I realized after I sent the email to the staff that I didn't, I don't think it's good that we're rolling it out on December 1st. But on to starting December 1st, we're going to do uh, a bunch of features about the decade, the past decade. I say it was a bad idea to wait till December 1st because there's a lot of content. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of content. Uh, there's a lot of content. So uh, if you... That's what you're getting for Christmas. Right. If there's something you want to see, uh, let us know in the comments or, you know, contact us on Twitter. Um, definitely don't email us, but certainly... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But let us know if there's something you want us to look at from, from the decade. But there's going to be stuff like, you know, who are the, the top prospects of the decade, which I think could be fun. You know, what were the best games regular season or postseason uh, of the decade? We're going to do the 10 best of the regular season, 10 best of the postseason. And I just want to point out that we are a bunch of spoiled jerks. <laughs> <laughs> there there are definitely 10 postseason games that we could count down. How uh, many, let's see, how many postseason games have the Giants seen this decade? <laughs> Let's see. Sure. You're filling. There's like three to four per series. Duh. We um, can just because they, go won, to they won every series before 2016. <laughs> uh, we can look at this very easily. As soon as I pull up Bruce Bochy's managerial <laughs> record, I can scroll down. Goes postseason. Games. Yeah, postseason. Postseason. Oh, it's a separate tab. Separate tab. Why is it a separate tab? No, it's not. Um. Postseason for uh, 77 games. I was halfway there with the mental math. Brian. Well, well, I need it. So that's his entire uh, career. Okay. So hold on, say, hold on, like, hold on. 53. That sounds more like it. 53 games to choose from. So. Uh, <laughs> and that's 53 wins, right? No, 36 of those were wins. Okay, my math is way. I mean, a, a loss. I'm trying to think of a playoff loss that the Giants had this decade that could still potentially be a good game. Like, even as, if you were to be super contrarian about it, a playoff. Um, I would, okay, so if we, if we subtract the last inning of, was it game four of 2016 NLDS? Pretty good game. Game one that they lost, that was a good game. Well, the, the last game was too. I mean, Matt Moore had yeah. a really good game. Yeah, if that's we true. just don't look at that last inning. I mean, yeah, well, you I didn't even really think about that, but yeah, we could th- either that one or game one because either one of them sets up for why it was so important <laughs> why game four was so important because game one made the Cubs fear that they will not that they would not be able to beat Johnny Cueto. <laughs> so, that they would fall victim to the even fall, your bullshit. Exactly right. So that's great. See, Sammy, you just wrote great. Thanks for writing those posts. That's great. I appreciate <laughs> you volunteering. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, again, if you have any suggestions for the decade retrospective, let us know. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at McCovey Cron and uh, look for the, look on the site every day. Join our community. We have a daily uh, BP blogging practice post that Sammy does, and uh, we talk about lots of stuff in there, mostly lunch. Yeah. Most and maps sometimes. And other sports, maps, other sports, yeah. TV shows, ranking yeah. things. That's right, and so occasionally the Giants. Sometimes but, uh, it's frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, and Sammy, take care. You too. Bye. Bye.